Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 28th of February 2020. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Party Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, the crash is on. Crush the cash ban and bail in to survive. And to defeat coronavirus, fix the economy. So firstly, it's been a dramatic day. Very much. The crash is on. Crush the cash ban and bail in to survive. We're filming this show late because we were awaiting the report of the Senate Economics Committee investigating the what we call the cash ban bill, uh, which is part of a plan by the financiers in this country and worldwide, it's happening across the globe, to deal with the coming financial meltdown by locking people into the banking system by banning cash, or at least higher level tra transactions. Tra trapping, us, trapping us in banks. And Elisa, when we say coming, I mean, it's erupting now, right? We reported last week yeah. on um, uh, you know, the analysis that the, the repo crisis that began on the 17th of September last year has not gone away. It shows you there's a, there's a, a huge problem boiling behind under the subterraneanly in the financial system, they're not confessing up what that is. Now we've got markets crashing galore all over the place, dramatic mm -hmm. drops this week, the Dow Jones is down 10%. It's, it, of course, the, 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 the uh, ostensible trigger is, is the coronavirus, except we know this was a bubble. Mm -hmm. right? It was always a bubble, it's just the trigger. The cause is this is a crash, right? That's what's happening. Um, the, the driving force behind policies like the cash ban and bail-in has been that crash. These are crisis management measures so they can control our financial behaviour um, in a crisis so that so they can their tricks that they've come up with to prop up banks at our expense can work, mm. right? Bailing negative interest rates, etc. And we have fought them to a point where they were forced to do this inquiry, etc. And today we've got to see the report. And um, it's mostly garbage. So do you want me to go through that now? Yeah, go through that. All right. Because look, here's the report here. 60-odd pages, so it literally come off the press. Um, just for the viewers, you know, we usually shoot on Fridays, sometimes on Thursdays. We always shoot in the morning, right? Um, it's a regular show, but we thought today we'll wait until the report came out because um, this has been a big focus of ours. It's ridiculously, they, they put it up at 5 o'clock, right? Um, you know, this is the sort of... Now, the fact they're playing those sort of games, though, is itself reflective of the impossible position we put them in. But here's what they've tried to do, right? Labor, for whatever reason, is trying to help the government save face on this. And when I say for whatever reason, I'll tell you why. Labor take their orders from the IMF and the Bank for International Settlements like the other side do, mm. right? Except the difference is now we've made life so unbearable for them politically because of the viewer, you know, joining in the mobilisation, making those phone calls. These, these Labor rank and file members of Parliament and the Liberals, etc., um, they're not the ones that are in cahoots with, you know, go to IMF meetings and say, you've got to pass these kind of policies. Um, uh, they don't know that, a lot of them don't believe that sort of thing goes on, right? So when they get told they've got to pass these policies, and then on the other side, they've got their constituents saying, no, don't you dare, you're taking away our rights, you're going to trap us in banks, and they go, oh, yeah, this will trap you in banks. What? You know, that, that's not very good, right? Um, it makes life much more difficult for the, the powers that be. 
So they've produced a report that uh, the, it actually recommends the bill be passed, but it adds all these conditions on passing it, which when you read him, you go, there is a chance here that in a ridiculous way they think, well, maybe we can, we can put so much lead in the saddlebags that this becomes an impossibility, right? Now, that's just a chance. I don't want to give Labor too much credit because if they're, if, if they're taking that approach, just you know, have the guts to come out and mm. be honest, yeah. right? That's the issue here. Um, and this is, this is a problem dealing with Labor. So I'm going to go through some of this, but I want, to, I want people to, who've been making the calls, it's very important that we hold them to account for this report now because there's two things, there's two things possible with this report. This report either reflects the leadership, the view of the leadership of both major parties, which means the, re the recommendations are going to read out are serious, right? And they will slow down this process a lot. And we've achieved that. We've made this. If they still, if they can still pass this after all these recommendations, mm. um, we've we, proves we've made it very hard for them. Or the report is just the view of the six senators involved, right? Which means, unfortunately, it's not legally binding. The Senate and the government can just ignore it. Now, if they do, will Labor vote for it? That's, Labor's not saying they're going to vote for it except on these conditions, right? So that's, this fight's not over until it's over. Next week, Parliament's still sitting. Keep mm -hmm. calling Labor and say, what are you trying to do with this report? Demand they account for this report. And if the, I'll just say, if these recommendations are taken seriously, and we'll see as you go through them, and really taken seriously, will there be a cash ban bill left is the question. Okay, so here's, here's the recommendations, just quickly. Recommendation one... Um, government should review existing powers and trends in the digital economy to assess whether the bill is the most effective response to the black economy. So that means almost go back to the drawing board, right? Yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a lengthy review process, right? So forget getting this passed in March. Recommendation two, the committee recommends the government review the penalty provisions, particularly in relation to one-off breaches as opposed to repeated offences, which are more likely to be money laundering and tax evasion to ensure they are not overly harsh. Well, two things there. That doesn't mention the jail time, and this is what's really draconian about this Australian law. It carries jail term, whereas the, the, the corresponding laws in, the, in Europe don't, right? They're just fines. So ours is particularly draconian. So it's not actually saying that. It's just saying, you know, a one-off offence shouldn't be punished as harshly as a repeated offence. The problem there is that you're, you're accepting the premise that repeated use of cash is bad. They haven't proven that. Mm -hmm. This is the problem with all these recommendations is they've ignored the fact that when the government was asked for evidence, they couldn't prove it, right? They needed this. And they couldn't prove it would be effective in cracking down on the black economy. They, that's either. right. They couldn't prove that. Uh, recommendation three, the committee recommends the government respond to concerns raised by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman and others regarding the availability of electronic banking services in remote and regional Australia, including during natural disasters. So that's a complicating factor. In fact, every recommendation complicates it. And when you, when you hear that, you've got to understand that makes it complicated to draft. Right? How do you reflect these mm. conditions in law? Right? This is, so this is what we mean, lead, lead in the saddlebags. Um, and, of course, that one came from things like the bushfire. You know, here's a big disaster. What, you can't use cash when the electronic systems all fail? Uh, recommendation four, the committee recommend the government assess the impact of the bill on particular migrant communities. And again, there's a, that was raised in relation to funeral services, which is a big deal in migrant communities. But the problem is, how can you have a law that, that exempts people on the basis of their ethnicity? Mm. Right? That's, that's discriminatory, and that would, that would be a real blowback, and again, incredibly complicated. Um, 
Recommendation five, the committee recommends the commencement date of the bill be extended, and that's a, that's a no-brainer. Of course, that's going to happen if, if it happens at all. <laughs> It'll happen sometime in the future, that's what it means. Recommendation six, the committee recommend the government develop a communication strategy, get this, to assist in dispelling some of the unsubstantiated claims regarding the bill. That's us, right? <laughs> that's, that's Martin North, that's John Adams, that's Nuggets News, that's Heiser Says, that's, that's all these different groups. That so have... they mean propaganda strategy? <laughs> that's a propaganda strategy. Right, <laughs> and I'll give you one example. It's about the it's about being trapped in banks, because people were very concerned about that. And the government said, no, 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 you can still move money in and out of the bank. The point we always made is this: no, under the law, as opposed to the regulation, the law forbids movement of any changes of money, any exchanges of money over ten thousand dollars. That's mm. the law. The exemption allows you to deposit and withdraw, but that can be changed, mm -hmm. right? Um, and they didn't want to highlight the fact that there's a difference. They just said, no, no, you, you'll still be out of bank. But, but while you're talking about that, um, they did put in the report Treasurer Sukha's or Assistant Treasurer Sukha's response on that issue where he said it would be cumbersome to have those various exemptions in the primary legislation because he expects future changes uh, to expand or reduce the scope of existing exceptions, and it's important for the legislative framework to provide adequate flexibility. There you go, people. Now, I actually hadn't read that because we've literally got the report, so I was doing another interview and Elisa got to read that part. That says it all, mm. right? They want flexibility to be able to make these changes. What else do you need to know? That's why they've structured it this way. The only recommendation seven, though, says that the part, um, what they call it, exempt... The committee recommends the exemptions for payments relating to personal and private transactions be moved from the exemptions into the bill. And that just means gifts to family, etc. Right? That's not the one about moving money into the banks. Okay. That's still in the that still will be in the exemptions and have to be flexible for Mr. Sooker's benefit so he can take that right away from us. And then here's the final one, and this wording is important. Contingent on the above recommendations, the committee recommends the bill be passed. So this committee has recommended this bill, but contingent on the above. So again, it comes down to, will the government and opposition leaders, are their views reflected in this bill, and therefore will they say, yes, we've got to do all those things, and therefore, as Elisa says, are you going to have a cash ban at the end of it, mm -hmm. right? Or um, will this be ignored, in which case, you know, the way we have to operate is um, Labor has basically shown, if they don't have the guts to outright oppose it, don't read the tea leaves about whether they intend to oppose it. It is very good. Be happy we've fought them to this point. right? We've made life incredibly difficult for them, but we keep the pressure on. And all I would say is in the immediate term, Parliament sits next week. So you don't have to harass them for the rest of your life. But while they're in, the calls you make into Parliament when it's in session make a big difference. Call up Labor about this report and say, what the hell? What are you trying to do? Do you want? And if they say, "Oh no, we think we need a black economy. We need to combat the black economy," your own guy proved that this doesn't do it, right? They didn't couldn't provide the evidence, and that is the part that we should get stuck on. Hit them very hard on that. Yeah. And just by contrast, look at this. This is the report from New Zealand this week. Public want a right to use cash, says Reserve Bank Governor Adrian Orr. They did a survey in New Zealand in August, the same time the Treasury did a consultation on the cash ban here. They did a survey of the public on cash in New Zealand. They got 2,000 responses, which per capita is even bigger than what we got in Australia. And this article opens, the public has sent a clear message to the Reserve Bank that people would not tolerate 
moves to make New Zealand a cashless society mm. and the Reserve Bank Governor of New Zealand basically said, okay, we're not going down that path. And it was interesting, I went back and had a look at their original report that they asked for those submissions on and it was a completely different approach. It wasn't proposing a cash ban, it was a, uh, a conversation about what do we want the future of cash to be and it raised in that original report all of the concerns about people who might not be banked, people digitally excluded, yep. losses of freedom and autonomy. Um, so it was a completely different approach, yeah. actually. So just in summary, we've done a very good job of, you know, that we've forced them to try and, you know, do this, create this dog's breakfast, as I called it on the previous show. Um, you know, they, 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 you know, to have to come up with this sort of product, right, is because of the pressure they're feeling. But don't accept it as a, don't accept a compromise here, no. right? We fight to the end. It's not over till it's over. We've got to drop, get them to dump this. Now, we have to take a break, but we'll be right back to discuss another flank on this. Welcome back to the Citizens Report, where we're discussing crushing the cash ban and bail-in. And regarding the bail-in legislation, we have another really crucial flank that was launched yesterday when the One Nation Senate Senator uh, Mel uh, Malcolm Roberts put forward an amendment to the bail-in legislation which passed two years ago on uh, Valentine's Day which would allow for certain deposits and investments to be confiscated from banks to recapitalise those banks. And in the press release that Roberts put out on this, he stated that having read the legislation closely, we believe that the 2018 bill has been cleverly crafted to allow scope for bail-in of retail and deposit accounts even when they said it didn't. My bill makes it absolutely clear that banks are not allowed to take money from deposit accounts in a bank bail-in. The public needs to know that their savings are safe from their own bank and this bill will ensure that safety. And they had actually tried to pass such an amendment at the time, two yeah. years ago, uh, but the government did, pulled a swifty and moved to get it through that while they weren't even in the chamber. Yep, so full disclosure, the Citizens Party has led the fight against bail-in in Australia since 2013 when Cyprus got... Um, bailed in, right? And the following month, April 15, 2013, we, we discovered the Financial Stability Board in Switzerland had a report that reported in there that, that bail-in legislation is in train in Australia. And we've been fighting that agenda ever since. That's what the 2018 law was, or at least part of it, right? Because the, the IMF has followed it up saying you need, a full, you need to go full-blown on this law. So they passed a law that we said um, the language is so broad it could be used for that in an emergency, right? Um, and One Nation took our concerns serious at the time and tried to amend it. And of course, the government did the dirty on them, uh, made sure they were out of the chamber when they ran the bill through with only eight senators present. So now One Nation has taken up the battle again. This is the, whatever happens with the cash ban, this is the, the next big fight because um, this is what the cash ban's for, so that policies like bailing can work. Yeah. So we drafted, we in the Citizens Party drafted um, this this bail-in amendment bill, right? And all it's, the logic is this. It's, it's, it's very simple. It's saying the government claims their bill won't be used to bail in deposits and can't be. However, the, 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 um, they make that assurance in writing and in verbally really forcefully. But the, legis the language in the legislation doesn't reflect that. It's too broad. It's too loose, right? There's this one clause there, any other instrument. So... All we're saying is, in the abundance of caution, right, and that's the message that's, that 
Scott Morrison used that term yesterday in his announcement about the coronavirus. In the abundance of caution, amend it so that there is no doubt, hmm. remove all doubt, that that could be used for the And they claim there's no doubt anyway, so they shouldn't really have any opposition to that. Well, they, they, they couldn't back up that claim because it is loose, right? We've got um, legal advice, legal on this question, it is loose. But if, if they claim that they have no intention of bailing the deposits, that's all this bail-in amendment does, stops that. Um, and why should the government have an objection to it? Mm-hmm. Now, so either the government will let it pass, which means we know that we've stopped that bill being used to bail-in deposits, or the government will object. And if they object, they're proving by their actions that this is to bail-in deposits. Mm. Now, what I urge people to do is we'll put a link below on the, on the YouTube video. Go to our website. We have a petition here. We started this petition last June, we, and, and it's been going ever since, but the cash ban fight has intervened in the meantime. We need to get this petition going much bigger, right? Um, hands off our bank accounts, stop bailing. That's what the petition says. Get on there and sign it and share it and get everyone you know to sign it, right? Because um, Malcolm Roberts has given notice that in the, he will introduce this amendment bill at the end of March, and then there will be a process to go through before there's a debate on it, right? So we have to... That, that huge force of people that have got involved in the fight against the cash ban, this is really what you're fighting for. Mm. Get behind this and there will be calls to make at a certain point. We'll announce those at the time. But in the meantime, sign and share that petition and get it out as widely as possible. And think about the implication. Uh, if this were to go through, this bill were to pass, the Australian Parliament and deposits would be untouchable. I mean, there's 18 European countries in the EU where either they've been bailed in or deposits have been frozen or not available for some period of time, temporarily or permanently. What are those guys over there going to say if here we have Australia and across the world, because this is a global campaign led by the Bank for International Settlements, knowing that this whole global financial system is caving in right now. So this is is not just an Australian fight back, it's a part of a global fight back. Yeah. Now we'll talk about another aspect of that global fight concerning the coronavirus right after this break. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. To defeat coronavirus, fix the economy. Alyssa, before you begin, it would be remiss of me not to mention back to the cash ban. The Greens did do an excellent dissenting report. You've got to go, what's that? Read it, right? Um, They called it, the the cure is worse than the cash. And uh, it just shows you that, you know, how forcefully this, this deserves to be opposed. So that, that was a really good sign in this debate. It's worth looking at that. And actually, just to quote one part of it, because it's a good lead into what we're discussing, they stated that banning cash to prop up bubbles is not the answer to ongoing economic malaise. Yep. Um, so I think that sort of hits the nail on the head, really, because, uh, OK, you were talking before about stock markets collapsing around the world, which, of course, people are putting down to coronavirus, as we said in a media release, that might be the trigger, but it's been ongoing for a time. Um, and the real, the greater concern, of course, is not the financial indices that are losing value, etc., but the collapse of the real economy that's been, the, yep. you know, productive sector that's been strip, stripped for three decades and facing a, a pandemic, a global epidemic in that context is something that is very, very dangerous because, as we saw in the case of um, the Spanish flu after World War One, when you've got war-torn economies, broken 
down you know, cities, malnourishment, poor hygiene, a bad economy means you can't react and respond in the way you have to. And when we look at our economy today, the capacity to produce, for instance, protective equipment, to increase hospital bed numbers, intensive care beds, for Australia, for one, would not be able to build a hospital in one week like we saw China do. And the other factor, of course, is many nations, not just Australia, are heavily, heavily dependent upon imports from China. So a lot of the manufactured goods and things like the protective gear that we would need in our hospitals are all manufactured over in China. Uh, and we had a call just in the last week or so from Michael Osterholm from the Centre for Infectious Disease Research who stated that governments must support private sector manufacturers in providing N95S face masks and other equipment to frontline healthcare providers and other essential workers. So whilst the Morrison government has you know, already, as we mentioned, declared uh, an emergency situation even ahead of the pandemic being called, which is good, in one regard, but on the other side, we have to focus on rebuilding our economy. I mean, we just announced last week the shutdown of Holden. We should actually have a blitz on manufacturing because, you know, we're in summer. We haven't been affected yeah. dramatically by this as the Northern Hemisphere has. So we can't, you know, leave them in the lurch. We should be ramping up the manufacturing capability to help supply what's required. Elisa, we developed a manufacturing capacity, an extraordinary one, in World War II in a crisis when we had to be self-sufficient, survival depended on it, and one of the things we needed was manufacturing, and we made it happen. And the, trend, the economic transformation of Australia in three years of World War II, sorry, not World War I, World War II, was extraordinary, mm -hmm. right? And we kept that going for decades after the war until... Paul Keating came along in the 1980s and said, we don't need that, right? Now, what's so we've had globalisation where we've been able to live off a credit card, a global credit card, people still lend us money while we import all this stuff from overseas, and we've become dependent on China. Now, we're the Citizens Party. We are, we are the most... Um, we're the least anti-China party in Australia, right? But that's, not a, that's, that's just mm. about international relations and we should get on with our neighbours. Um, economically, mm. it is wrong to have an economy that's so dependent on other countries. Well, 90% right? of our medicine comes from China, some, some of it via other countries, but you can't have that situation when China's been shut down and we're facing an epidemic in our own country. What we don't do is blame China for that fact. We did this to ourselves. Oh, we yeah. decided to take, care, take advantage of cheap labour, etc. And a crisis like this brings home just how vulnerable we are. Mm -hmm. we, don't, we shouldn't be thinking in terms of a short-term, oh, let's just get through this crisis. We should be thinking in terms of the, the crisis um, reminds us that, yeah, this is a structural vulnerability. We, have to ch we shouldn't have had this in the first place. We have to go back to have a, a strong manufacturing capability. Yeah, and much of the world has the same problem that you've just described. And, for instance, the Baltic dry index is down by 84% since September last year. So it was already an ongoing crisis. That's a shipping index of the price of shipping. Yep, so the amount of trade, and, of course, you've got a lot of ports that are shut down and you haven't had workers going to the wharfs and so forth in China... I mean, China's producing, for instance, usually 2 million televisions per month, but this month they produced only 100,000. Now, that's not a critical item, uh, but nonetheless it shows you the vulnerability. 97% collapse in car parts. 
Um, this is the sort of thing that has to be rec rectified and we have to look at global cooperation to push back against the real economy. And you can more, read more about that story and some of the figures and details in our Australian Alert Service. Call in for a copy if you haven't already. And it's very important that real medical experts are actually emphasising this, this as well, the global cooperation part of it, right? That's how the combination of addressing the economic vulnerabilities and global cooperation on, on actually addressing the pandemic is how we're going to survive this. Yeah, and cooperation between the US and China has been non-existent for a few years, so they're trying to ramp that up again. And don't forget to call your MPs on the cash ban and tune in again next week.